0: gene i am not sure if you're aware of this despite your literally professional job in pop culture but marvel cinematic
1: universe kind of a big deal you know yeah i'm hearing a lot about them (laughs) epic numbers i
0: I think those lucky youngsters might make it in this biz
1: (laughs) yeah the future looks bright
0: (laughs) well said well obviously on wednesday when we are recording this the pod will come out thursday but on wednesday Marvel released their latest blockbuster Disney Plus series, Loki, which fans have been waiting for for quite some time. Tom Hiddleston first premiered in the MCU as the god of mischief, mischief in 2011's Thor. So it's literally been a decade that essentially fans and audiences have been clamoring for some sort of solo project for this fan favorite villain turned anti-hero. And now it is finally here. I would venture out and say, Gene, that it was probably more anti- anticipated pound for pound than both WandaVision and The Falcon and The Winter Soldier.
1: Yes. And I think that is because of the power of Tom Hiddleston <laughs> and, the, and the internet. So, yeah. um, you know, that's why this week on Must Watch, I, Gene Bentley, and you, Brandon Katz, on my better that days. That is your name. That is your name. <laughs> um, we're talking about Loki. Like, duh. come on. Yes. It's, it's the biggest streaming release of the week. So, of course, we're going to talk about it, even though there are a lot of people who are going to be talking about Loki, too. <laughs>
0: yeah, but I mean, listen, for anyone out there, we're probably not going to be doing week-by-week breakdowns and whatnot, but because we have now expanded must-watch to include, you guessed it, all of the must-watch series across streaming, we figured we'd hit it. And we're also... More or less Marvel nerds. I think I might be slightly more of a Marvel nerd than Eugene, but we're both, you know, very much in this world. So, you know, why not go after it? And just to start off this conversation, I I have a question for you that's a little bit entertainment critic point of view. You and I, by the luck of our jobs, we receive screeners ahead of time. And and for Loki, we've received the first two episodes. For The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, we received one episode. And for WandaVision, we received three episodes ahead of when they had their traditional premiere. My question for you, without getting into spoilers, because a lot of people haven't seen episode two, what do you think of the first batch of episodes of Loki in comparison to the first batch we received for WandaVision and The Falcon and the Winter Soldier?
1: Okay, so basically um, my my short verdict on Loki so far based on the first two episodes that we have seen is hell yes. Uh, so, so that is my eloquent uh, description yeah. of, of what I thought. Your most articulate critic hat
0: was on right Thank there. Thank you.
1: Hell yes. I loved it. I loved so many things about it. I thought it was really fun and intriguing, but also structured like a traditional TV show. Uh it's it's like a Marvel procedural almost, but it has these, you know, the Marvel elements. Right. And I think that the first batch of episodes of WandaVision, they gave us the first 3, but they only released the first 2 at once, which I found strange because I felt the first 3 really did Introduce you to Mm -hmm. the tone of the show. And it was at the end of the third episode, if you remember, of WandaVision, where they kind of finally introduced the marvel of it all, really. Yeah, the the peek back the curtain. Yeah. And so I think Loki is a little bit similar in not in that regard, but in these two episodes were really went hand in hand for me. Mm -hmm. And there's a big, big reveal at the end of the second episode that I think sets up a lot of what. The rest of the show is going to do. And so I found that really interesting and wonder if they should have released the first two. Um, to the public, you mean. Yeah, to the public yeah. rather than, than just to critics. And then Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I am sorry to say, it was not for me. I thought it was boring. <laughs> it didn't have the fun elements that I wanted. So... But I think WandaVision did. It also was at times desperately sad, but it was also fun. And I think there wasn't enough fun in The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. They're not even together in the first episode. Come on, man. You you weren't there for sad boy superheroes. Exactly. I'm sorry. I (laughs) I don't need that. So Loki, I think, starts out... Obviously, you, you're you introduced to what is happening in the show, and then the second episode is like, oh, okay, this is what it's going to be more of going forward. And and Falcon didn't, Falcon Winty, as my friends and I call it, did <laughs> not have that. So, what about you?
0: <laughs> well, I, I think, before I get into my little spiel, I think you make a great point that Disney and Marvel, listen... They know more about how to please an audience than you and I, as, as much, as highly as I think of both of us. <laughs> but I tend to agree with you that I think WandaVision, given how committed to the bit it was, risked alienating certain audiences by not releasing all three episodes at once. I think the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I love that pilot, but I think the first two episodes probably should have been released together and here I think for for uh, a show that I really like so far and i'll get into it a little bit more in a second like you said the first two particularly go hand in hand and and for anyone listening who hasn't yet watched episode one it is extremely exposition heavy that's not necessarily a bad thing coming for me because I think the dialogue and the conversations in it work brilliantly but you know, the second episode is the follow-through for the throat clearing of the first one. So to not release them together, I agree completely with your point, Gene. Maybe not the best release strategy. Having said that, though, yes. zooming out and actually answering yes. the question as I as I rant and rave like a madman, I really, really, really like Loki to start. I think pound for pound, it's probably my favorite of the beginnings of these Disney plus Marvel series. Having said that, because I don't want this to just be a straight-up love fest, I, I think this is a... A worthy critique. Both, uh, I think WandaVision right from the start was doing something totally different that came before it, which was very unique. And the Falcon and the Winter Soldier immediately I'm carved sorry. out
1: space. Falcon and the Winter Soldier or Falky Winty? Come on.
0: <laughs> you're right. Sorry. We need we need to really make that like fetch. It's going to happen. Yeah.
1: yeah. Falchi Fal- Winty. Fa- anyway, yeah. continue. I'm so sorry to interrupt. No, but that's Falchi Winty. That is a great
0: interjection because you're right. Rest of the podcast forever. we're ca- we're calling it Falky <laughs> Winty. And Falky Winty immediately carved out space for this really contemporary thematic uh, uh, commentary on race and legacy. So what that means to me, both shows from the jump had something to say. Again, I really like Loki to start. I don't it's more purely enjoyable than both. Great dialogue, fast pace, lots of quips, lots of gags, multiverse timeline shenanigans. But I don't think it's necessarily designed, at least early on, to have some grand, unifying, thematic message. You know, I, They've briefly set up the idea of identity itself by having Loki kind of like look back and, and reassess his past motivations, his choices and actions. And I hope we get a bit more of that emotional honesty. But I'm not exactly sure at this point what it wants to say or what it has to say in terms of thematic heft. Does it need that? Does every show need that? No, not, not really. There's plenty of shows out there that are purely kind of in that fast and furious zone where they're they're just gonna be entertaining. This is actually much better than that. but you know that that is my kind of half good, half bad start while still maintaining. I think it's my favorite of the early bunch.
1: yeah, i I absolutely would totally agree. I think that interestingly, when you think about like the deeper thematic. Uh, through lines to Loki, I would agree that it's not necessarily apparent at first, but I also thought that was kind of part of the charm in that it felt like, it felt like Marvel's procedural, right? Mm -hmm. At first, at first, especially, you know, with this exposition heavy first episode. But if this is a uh, Owen Wilson and Tom Hiddleston team up and do time travel stuff together, like, I'm, I'm sign me up for 1,000 episodes. I want it all.
0: It is, at its core, at least in these first two episodes, to me, a screwball detective story with a shit-eating grin that just so happens to feature superheroes and gods and time travel and omnipotent beings and whatnot.
1: Yes, exactly. Exactly. No, um, I think I think you're right. And, and in terms of
0: getting to that thematic stuff where you do feel like, okay, this had some meat on its bones, the seeds are there. You know, this is a iteration of Loki that's staring down a reckoning of his own life. And that is compelling to me, even if we've seen previous versions of the character do something similar. Because as we, as I think we need to remind people, this is Avengers 2012 Loki who escaped at the end of Endgame. This is not the Loki we saw go through, uh, you know, Thor Ragnarok, Avengers Infinity War, Avengers Endgame. This is, this is not that Loki. That Loki is dead. Mm-hmm. Exactly,
1: I think also. Listen, the 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 thing about Loki is that as a character, for me personally, I, I don't really care th- as much about him. But Tom Hiddleston playing Loki, I care a lot about. So I think that the character and then obviously this show depends a lot on the charisma and like right. height. <laughs> <laughs> Tom Hiddleston. He's just a tall, tall man. He's a tall, and, lanky dude. Yeah, and it and it like lends to the phys- physicality of the character. But I I think that the show hinges on Tom Hiddleston, and I find Tom Hiddleston very talented and good at what he does. So so. It's, so it's a yes. <laughs> I,
0: I think he's great, and I think his arrogant, charming, fast paced, thinking Loki pairs so nicely with the. Uh, I, I, Owen Wilson's Agent Mobius is not necessarily a straight man because he's hysterical, but he is the kind of counterpoint foil to Loki here. And their dynamic, their dialogue, their back and forth is fantastic. I, I mean, listen, I've always liked Owen Wilson, but I am shocked at how good Mobius is in these first two episodes.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So fun. Such a good dynamic. And I saw someone tweet about how... The dynamic between Tom Hiddleston and Owen Wilson is similar but different to the dynamic between Tom Hiddleston and Chris Hemsworth in that Tom Hiddleston works really best when he has a golden retriever-like <laughs> person to play against. And well that made a lot of sense to me because obviously Chris Hemsworth and Owen Wilson are very different and their, their characters are very different. But the the type, uh, the the oh what am i what do i want to say like the mood the vibe
0: yeah
1: <laughs> is very it is similar, even though they're different.
0: And, and if you'll allow me to just selfishly hop on that bandwagon of insight, I also tweeted that, yes, these two are great here together in Loki. But I think the actually Midnight in Paris, where their characters had great chemistry and limited screen time as well. And like you just said, very, you know, star to uh, Labrador type of uh, back and forth. That laid the groundwork for everything we're seeing here. So these these are two performers who work well together. We know that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Gene, one thing that I noticed and I think has at the very least prevented me from gushing about it to some of my friends who are not as well-versed in the Marvel Universe or as nerdy as I am is how self-referential it is to the MCU. Because Marvel, for its entirety, its 13-year run across every project, for better and for worse, loves to look both inward and backward at its own history. And I think that can be an extremely rewarding trip down memory lane for Marvel mentees such as you and I. But it also can be an alienating and kind of insular and dense journey for casual fans with a lot of confusing jibber-jabber that they won't understand. So, as we are not casual fans, I really enjoy seeing familiar MCU movements, like when they revisit 2012 Avengers and uh, Thor the Dark World and Thor Ragnarok. I really like seeing that from this new, varied perspective. But I can see someone who's seen, you know, half the movies, one of the TV shows being like, I have no fucking idea what's going on.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, my sister tried to show WandaVision to my parents a couple of weeks ago. And they were like, what? is this. The <laughs> homage to classic sitcoms is fun, but it ultimately doesn't have any meaning if you don't actually know what the hell is going on and who these characters are. Or if so, you're yeah. even
0: familiar with the sitcoms, because I think a lot of contemporary audiences were like, I never watched I Love Lucy. I don't know. Like, I don't get the gag.
1: Yeah. Shameful. But, I, but I yes, I get it. And yeah, I think that that is definitely a problem with all of the Marvel shows. I know that Kevin Feige has said that he wants casual and like extreme fans to like the show, um, but, or like all of the shows and be able to pop in and out. But I don't really think it's possible for a Marvel complete Marvel newcomer to watch the show and fully understand what is happening.
0: A hundred percent. This is an example of, having your cake and wanting to eat it too. And and it's just not possible, particularly as Kevin Feige has also said of the three Disney plus Marvel shows thus far, Loki will have the greatest implications for the MCU moving forward. So I I think it's, you know, in sports, we call it coach speak when, when some, a coach is basically giving lip service to something that may not be true. The fact that he's like, yeah, you know, we have a a foot in both worlds where casual fans can hop on and understand and, and diehards will love it. I just don't think that's the case in the future with new characters. I'm sure casual fans will be able to jump on more freely, but thus far it's just, it's impossible when your world is this interconnected. And I think uh, uh, something I wrote about recently is that the greatest strength of Marvel is that is also its greatest weakness in that it is, limitless in having a shared universe where every storyline and character can ping pong back and forth, but it's also limiting when you have to exist within the rigid logistics of a shared cinematic universe.
1: Yeah, totally. But I mean, I'm thinking again about like what my parents would think about this show. So they are not Marvel movie watchers. How dare they, Gene? Get out. I'm so sorry. You are spawned. No, I'm kidding. I know. I know. But you know they're not, they're not really Marvel moviegoers. I think they may have seen one or two of them, just because it was on HBO. You know, like not not anything. They they did not they did yeah. not go to the theater to see. Avengers My parents and hate them
0: I as well, like full yeah. on do, do not like. So believe yeah. me, I get it.
1: So I don't think people like them will be able to go in but I will say that I think if you're someone who will see a Marvel movie at the theater but probably not re-watch it a ton or like mm-hmm. maybe you saw the Thor movies because you like Chris Hemsworth but not the Avengers movies because it was too much comic book right. um I think that maybe you could you could get along with a smaller base of knowledge, but not with none. I really don't think that you could get along with it with zero Marvel knowledge. But you know what I like as
0: a little bit of the flip side of that coin. not exactly, but but a little bit. I really like that this seems to be an MCU reset of sorts because for 10 years, we were told the Infinity Stones were the most powerful things in the MCU. They were the major MacGuffins that drove the entire decade of storytelling in its first iteration. And then Loki shows up in the TVA and the Infinity Stones don't even work. People use them for paperweights. And Loki himself even says, is this the greatest power in the universe? So the Infinity Saga, that 10 years culminating in in Thanos' huge move in Avengers Endgame, that was the main story. Now we're kind of completely wiping the slate clean, resetting the table, and expanding outward in terms of the power scale and the important MacGuffins and the kind of uh, uh, figures of great influence with the MCU. And I think that helps us usher into phase four and beyond and be like, okay, first chapter's done. We're genuinely moving into some unknown territory now.
1: Yeah. And it feels to me, so I don't, I don't read comics. I don't have a base knowledge of the comics at all, but resetting is something that I, who, a person who knows what comics are, <laughs> they <hate laughs> me how they work can acknowledge that this is the kind of thing that they do in comics all the time—is kind of reset and and reimagine these archetypes and these characters that they've created. So it feels really fun to finally do that because I got to tell you, I just like don't care about Thanos anymore. Like I just could not care less. Okay, let's. I loved on.
0: Thanos in Infinity him. War and, yeah, and Endgame, but fun. you know he's been defeated. I don't. We don't yeah. need him anymore.
1: We don't need him. Get that purple man away from us. <laughs> And
0: you you have a great note here, which we'll get to uh, about the visual elements. I just wanted to quickly say, in terms of resetting the table too, it's so funny to me that they are essentially showing us the greatest power in the universe, like he said, and yet even though there's a dash of you know futuristic sci-fi setting and visuals, their whole mid-century Americana cubicle monotony Mad esque typewriter. Uh, aesthetic is so funny to me because that contrast between the greatest power in the world and that visual palette of like a bureaucratic office setting just enhances the odd hilarity of it all to me,
1: yeah. I loved I loved the look of Loki. I think it is absolutely stunning. So Loki was directed by Kate Heron, who, Directed all of the episodes of the show, and she has done a bunch of episodes of Sex Education, great show, um, and and other shows. And I feel like that tone is totally present here, and it totally makes sense. So the production design is incredible. I think Kate uh, described it in interviews as like fancy DMV or like <laughs> or like retro DMV. And it and like it totally that. makes sense. Yeah right. Like I it, it is perfect. So it's, it's this brutalist, like mod 70s-esque palette that feels very retro future and fun, but it's also this is a, an agency, essentially mm-hmm. a, like a government agency. And like that brutalist 60s, 70s architecture is exactly the kind of architecture <laughs> you would expect from some government agency that actually does incredible, <laughs> you know, right, um, really important work, but it takes place in like concrete blocks. But uh, yeah, I, I thought it was amazing. The production design on this is beautiful. And then, you know, sex education also has a similar it's it's modern but it's also a little bit timeless and that's kind of what what loki feels like i I think that the the visual tone is they completely nailed it it's like elevated rustic yeah yeah exactly it's so cool all
0: right now i got a a handful of questions after watching episode one that i that i am wondering and i'm sure a lot of other fans are wondering Let's, let's hit them right quick to close this out all right number one gene do you think the TVA shenanigans with all its multiverse and timelines and all that is setting up a tie-in to Spider-Man No Way Home and or Doctor Strange in the multiverse of madness? And before you answer, might I just remind everybody that the head writer of Loki, Michael Waldron, also is the screenwriter for Doctor Strange 2.
1: Um, The answer is yes. Next. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Boom. I like that. You're, you're in and you're out. I love it. I mean, come on, people. Yes. Great. Yeah.
0: Right? Come on. I, I agree. Whatever <laughs> happens is, is probably going to lead into the uh, crazy open-ended events of Spider-Man and probably then close off with Dr. Strange and Wanda trying to fix it in their movie. So I, I, I imagine it is kind of like a, a four project arc that stretches from WandaVision to Dr. Strange too.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: All right. So Loki's, uh, sorry. What?
1: Oh no, no, go ahead. So uh, my next question,
0: Loki says he lost a bet and became D.B. Cooper in the process which I, I love, I I wish it was a little bit more in the story instead of just like, Oh, here's a fun thing that happened in in the past. But I I just love the whole setup. What other historical events do you think Loki or, or this whole squad has influenced? Because I'm really hoping we get to like, Oh, I know that I learned that about that in history. I can't believe Loki was there. Like uh, uh, imagine just a sci-fi Forrest Gump. You know what I mean? (laughs)
1: Yeah, absolutely. Okay. First of all, that scene was so fun for me too, because I was watching it. I was watching the screeners with some, some other reporter friends. And so I saw that they were on the plane and then the flight attendant hands him the drink and says, here you go, Mr. Cooper. And then in my brain, I was like, wait a minute. It's the (laughs) sixties. They just called him Mr. Cooper. Oh my God. Is he DB Cooper? And then of course, then obviously the answer was yes. Um, but that was a really fun revelation. And also I was with some people who didn't actually know who D.B. Cooper was. So I was like, I so can was imagine I. a lot of people uh, pausing that and Googling to see who D.B. Cooper is. <laughs> you know what, sure. after this
0: podcast, I'm going to go on Google search trends traffic and see if D.B. Cooper has spiked in the last 24 hours. I you have said. to believe it would be.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, so yeah, so funny. I mean, D.B. Cooper, a famous... Uh, Probably, I think it is known as like the first ever hijacking of an airplane and it's still unsolved. That's um, impressive. Which, is, which yeah. is cool. It's, it's interesting. So yeah, think about some of the biggest unsolved mysteries, right? It's like, yeah. <laughs> I, I I mean, I think that in pop culture right now, we're really focused on like serial killers and stuff, but that's, that's sad and yeah. not fun, but I feel like. D.B. Cooper um, didn't hurt anybody. Yeah, exactly. I feel like maybe some like famous disasters that were caused accidentally like big fires that destroyed cities, you know, (laughs) stuff like that. It was just Loki going, oops, or like destroying something like that. That would be really fun. (laughs) Yeah. Have you thought of any? I, I haven't. I'm just hoping we get some because that,
0: that is a fun gag to me.
1: Yeah. Who, who else could we, who, whose mystery, I mean, in an alternate universe, it would be fun if if Loki were um, deep throat. That <laughs> actually would be hysterical. Yeah. Uh, or famous mysteries. So Carly Simon has already said that Eurosovine is about Warren Beatty. I think, but it would be <laughs> funny if it were actually about Loki. <laughs> I think that's a perfect example.
0: And uh, Marvel, you know, you you have Jean's contact information if you want to throw her a royalty for that one. Yeah, thank you so much. You so <laughs> All much. right. Elsewhere in the episode, we also learned that basically the TVA rules and regulations suggest that everything that has happened in the MCU thus far that we've seen was predetermined by the timekeepers, that it was meant to happen. And basically, choice is just an illusion. This show raises the question of free will versus determinism, which is dark and philosophical. And like also, if that's the case, so many innocent people have died in the MCU damn. Yeah.
1: But it's really funny that you mentioned that because one of the people that I did watch this with was Lauren Pister, um, our guest on the Bo Burnham Inside episode. Be sure um, to check that out. Go download yeah, that one, guys. Listen to that because guess what? It's still great. The special and our episode. It was a good episode. I listened to it. (laughs) Anyway, um, I was watching it with Lauren and she was preparing her questions for her interviews at the Loki junket. And I legitimately was like, you should probably ask Tom Hiddleston if he's read any foundational texts on existentialism or transcendentalism. Um, She surprisingly didn't take my suggestion and ask Tom Hiddleston about, you know, if he's read on Walden Pond, but that's fine. Whatever. Lauren, (laughs) I
0: I guess. And this is genuinely not a knock. It's just understanding your audience. But I guess E! News, where she works, is probably not the place to ask that.
1: Yeah, yeah. When you have four minutes with Tom Hiddleston, if you're (laughs) going to ask about like if he's read (laughs) (laughs) Philosophers, maybe not. It's fine.
0: (laughs) Uh, Now, this next one is your question, Gene, which I think is great. What shows do you think it's most like? What shows it reminds you of? I am going to cheat a little bit. and, And paraphrase our producer, Scott Porch's answer, he told me in a text, it's kind of like the the Good Place vibes meets Men in Black, which I very much agree with in terms of the otherworldly matter of fact sense of humor of The Good Place with like these vibrant sci-fi jaunts of Men in Black. I'm also for good measure going to throw in just just a smidgen of Beetlejuice craziness, just a smidgen. And I think those three kind of encapsulated for me a bit.
1: Yeah, I love that, especially the the bureaucratic element of Men in Black is yes. really what they kind of hammer home in Loki. Yeah, I saw a lot of shades of Doctor Who. Yeah, and and also just more like sci fi esque procedurals like X Files or uh, the NBC show Timeless. Just just a fun uh, sci fi or supernatural themed procedural show like structurally it feels more suited to television than the other Marvel shows
0: yes which which especially Falcon and Winter Soldier which I hate the saying we're like we're gonna make a six-hour movie I hate that but that one actually did feel like a six-hour movie that that had to have been broken up for episodes whereas you're right this feels like episodic chapters that flow into one another much more organically and now that you mentioned that Gene Timekeepers are just space lizard time lords. You're absolutely right. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I think there's a lot of fun to be had in the time travel elements that they're gonna explore and 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 stuff like that. And I think that also if people overanalyze Marvel, they definitely overanalyze anything related to time travel. Yes. So I definitely think this is one where you just need to be like. I don't think they thought too hard about it. So, it's, and it's okay. It's okay.
0: All right, then to close it off, another great question by Eugene. Where does it land thus far on your Disney Plus Marvel show rankings?
1: Okay, I'm going to say that it is on par with WandaVision, uh, or as it is colloquially, know- colloquially known in my group chat as WandyVigi. Uh, so I'm going to put Loki up there on the same level with a, we'll have to wait and see. And then far below that, unfortunately is Falky Winty, which (laughs) Justin do it for me as a show. What about you?
0: I'm thus far, and that means we're comparing early episodes to early episodes and I'm divorcing from reality that I know how the other two end. I am saying Loki number one, WandaVision number two, and Falky Winty number three. That's how I'm doing it thus far. Thank you
1: for using the proper title. I I really (laughs) appreciate that. Falky Winty. Okay, people. All
0: right. Well, if you guys have any other kind of theories or questions or anything you want us to hit in terms of uh, Loki, just hit us up on Twitter at Hygiene at Great underscore Catsby. Please leave us a five-star review for Must Watch on Apple Podcasts. It helps with our SEO. You can also ask us questions in there that we'll answer on air. We'd be happy to. And uh, definitely stay tuned for next week when we are going to come back around to our cross, you know, streaming breakdown of our favorite shows where we're going to be hitting Amazon Prime Video. So until next week, you guys. Bye. Boom, that's how we do it.